0: This is New Classical Tracks from American Public Media. If you're enjoying this podcast, the best thing that you can do for the show is to tell somebody else about it, help spread the word, and take a moment to rate and review us on your podcasting app. Leif Ove Ansnes has been performing the poetic tone pictures of Antonin Dvorak since he was a kid. These are pieces that are actually rarely performed, I asked Leif Oveansnes why that is and why he wanted to make this recording featuring this very unusual and ambitious cycle of piano pieces by the Czech composer. These are all things you'll discover this week on New Classical Tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julia Macher. Your latest recording is spotlighting rarely known works by Dvorak, his poetic tone pictures. Why are these rarely known works? It's
1: very curious, but he has this reputation of not writing very well for the piano because he was not a a pianist. He was a sort of amateur organ player, but more, you know, he was a string player. He was a violinist. Uh, He didn't own a piano until he was about 40 or something, I think. But he does write great music. And I think he writes also wonderful piano music. It's just some of it is rather awkward, you know, for the hands to play. It doesn't lie under your hands as naturally as, as Chopin or Debussy or Schumann. Uh, but then I just have to find some different solutions, some different fingerings, distribute the hands a little bit differently. There's some awkward jumps, um, but the music, you know, it's so glorious, and and actually, I find that also it's very colorful on the piano. He he finds ways, but he chooses things that he knows works for other composers. You know, he will he will find a technique from Mendelssohn or from Schubert or or Chopin. So you can see that he's maybe not such a confident piano composer, but he's certainly a confident composer and with great signature, one hears that this is, this is, you know, Dvorak and real great Dvorak.
0: You were first exposed to Czech music when a new teacher from Prague came to the conservatory where you were studying in Norway. What was it about this teacher that fueled this fascination for you?
1: Well, he was, Hiji he Klinka, was, um, he was in his 40s only then. And he had stopped playing because he uh, he got a problem with the tennis elbow and he had to stop a career, which was, you know, very promising. He had to stop playing when he was about 27, I think. And he was offered a contract from the Czech government to teach either in Japan or in Norway. And he he, he chose to come to Norway, luckily, you know, lucky for me. Um, and I met him when I was fifteen, and he was an extremely passionate musician and, and knowledgeable pianist, and of course, and with so much to give, because he couldn't play himself. And when I came along, and I I, I was a talent, you know, he, he gave me everything. Uh, he worked with me day and night. Uh, so music really then became came my great passion from from the age of fifteen. And he said, you know, now you have to stop. Uh, normal school, you have to, to study only music. And he was right. He said those years between 15 and 20 are the most important for your development. And he was right about that.
0: Prior to encountering him, though, you had played some of these poetic tone pictures in a competition when you were just 12.
1: Is that right? It's a strange thing because I've known these pieces, you know, vaguely since I was a child because my father came home once from... From London, he had he had brought with him a, a bunch of LPs, and one of them was this cycle played by the Czech pianist Radoslav kwapil So I listened to these pieces when I was when I was little, and I liked some of the first ones especially. And the first one I played in a youth competition when I was twelve, and then later on I played a group of them and so on. And it's it's curious because most pianists don't even know this music. So, but I've I've sort of known about them and known them vaguely since I was since I was a child. So for me it's been a natural development to start to play more and more of them and then um, I I then really studied the whole cycle during the pandemic and thought now I'll give the whole cycle a chance, let's see if Dvorak is right, because he wrote in a letter to a friend that he, he thought one could only experience his real intentions about this music if one played the whole cycle, all the 13 pieces together. And that's almost an hour of music. So it's, uh, we're talking a, a big cycle here. And I do feel a difference. I do feel that it's a great journey when they are played together from beginning to end.
0: One of the advantages of COVID is that you did get a chance to really do a deep dive into these pieces. I'm wondering what you discovered in that process where you just were able to focus on these without any other
1: distractions. Well, you know, my, my life, it's been for the last 30 years quite always with the direction, always knowing the next concert's coming up or, or, or this piece I have to play in four months, I have to really learn it now, these kind of things. And then suddenly with the pandemic, you don't know what you're dealing with. Is there a future? Will there be concerts? For the first month, I have to say, I was, I was really shocked and I, I couldn't touch the piano. And then I also had three children at home, and we'd be all, we we all were all staying here at home. There was homeschooling, you know, all these kind of things. So there were different things to deal with. I was in the middle of a recital tour when the pandemic broke out. So I, I was just immediately getting home and and uh, a new kind of life. And then after a month, I started thinking, okay, what what now? What should I should I study? What do I want to study? Uh, I I had a need for some music that. It's really strong and, you know, in times of difficulties, I always seem to turn to Beethoven. So I, I did study Beethoven's Sonata Opus 109, you know, one of the last great masterpieces, which, uh, which I, strangely enough, hadn't played before. And that was really wonderful. And then I was looking through lots of different music. And that was a wonderful thing, of course, that no one suddenly had time to do that. Um, and looked through my whole music library here. And, and, and I got to Dvorak and I thought, hmm, let me look through all his piano music because I've never done that. And there were many pieces I didn't feel so strongly about. But when I came to this cycle, I again thought, wow, this is really wonderful stuff. Um, and I decided to, to, to study the whole cycle.
0: I was just thinking about when you did that competition when you were 12, do you remember which pieces you played?
1: I played the first piece, the, the, the Night Journey, which is also one of the more ambitious pieces and one of the more difficult ones. I do remember parts of it was quite challenging.
0: So when you came back to that piece, did you find it challenging, maybe in a different way, or what was your experience in revisiting it?
1: Yeah, it's it's it was like a mixture of a homecoming and 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 still, you know, there are some some challenging passages there, but it's such a wonderful piece because it opens like you open a a novel. You know, it's like saying, "I'm I'm going to tell you a story." It just opens this very personal world. Um, so I just adore that opening, and I I think I felt that already as a child, and that's why I wanted to play it.
0: I'm curious if you know what was happening in the composer's life when he started to write this series, this set of pieces, because he was exploring maybe a greater sense of freedom do you know what was happening in his life at the time that made him have this compositional shift?
1: Well, he got interested in writing programmatic music, which means that the the different pieces would suddenly have titles, descriptive titles. Uh, and he writes on, also in a letter after writing these pieces that I've I've tried to be a poet in these pieces, a la Schumann, which was a shift for him, which was something new. And he was then thinking of of the great... Piano Cycles by Schumann, where Schumann often has a descriptive title of in each of, of the small pieces. And then he says, but they don't sound like Schumann. Sometimes there's an image there, there, it's descriptive at the old castle. Sometimes there would just be a feeling, you know, spring song. Very mysterious pieces and pompous pieces like At a Hero's Grave. Um, And on the other hand, you know, triviality of life, like toying. Mm -hmm. Tattle, there is a piece called. And very Czech, you know, folk music, Czech dances, furiant. Which is a typical Czech dance, which has this pattern of two and three, so we have one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, three. and Bacchanalia, uh, wild Bershossic dance. You know, so very varied. It's like life, it's high and low. And that's what I love about this cycle.
0: You mentioned that Dvorak was not a pianist and yet he's able to create unique colors and he uses the full range of the piano. Can you give me an example where we hear that full range and maybe some unique colors that really strike you as you're playing these pieces?
1: Well, let's take the second piece called Toying. You know, very unassuming. Uh, It's full of surprising short staccato notes uh, in the main section, a c- kind of conversation between the the right and the left hand. And then it has, as a contrast, the middle section, which is very legato and which has this sort of feeling of a Brook or river, like you find in some Schubert's music, very fluid, just wonderfully beautiful, bell-like colors, and it shows for me, you know, how much the, the textures, you know, going from the short notes to the, to the longer and to the fluid. That was a very conscious thing uh, for him and shows how how wonderfully he's using then the piano.
0: When you sit down to play this cycle, what goes through your mind?
1: You know, it's a strange thing because I, you know, even if it's so much about storytelling and these pieces are descriptive and so on, I don't necessarily see uh, images or or have a kind of storytelling in my mind about what what happens in this piece and these two lovers meet or whatever you know that's that's not what I'm concentrating on the on the components of the music the melodies the harmony the tempo changes the transitions all the coloring I mean that's all there it's like a language in itself for me so in a way, I mean this music is so rich you wouldn't need to know that it's called the castle or spring song or you know, it's, it's, it's it tells a story by itself because the music embraces everything. It can be sad and, and happy at the same time. And that's the wonderful thing about music, I think. Um, and so I'm I must say I'm 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 yeah, I'm working on what is there, musically, um, and concentrating on that. And unfortunately, in some concerts, or, or in most concerts, you have at least moments where you feel, you know, now, now something exciting is happening. Now I'm creating, um, something takes over. I'm becoming a tool of something bigger. Um, that's very exciting. When you actually don't think anymore, you're becoming a sort of vessel of something. Uh, one cannot you know, expect that that happens in every concert, but it happens when it's in a while, and that's sort of the feeling I'm playing for, I guess.
0: Does that change depending on where you're performing? Like the audience, do you absorb perhaps their reaction? Does that impact how you're performing in that moment?
1: Of course. I mean, the 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 um, uh, atmosphere in the whole, the silence, you know, what's what the audience brings, a kind of, you know, maybe active listening. I mean, that's what I want, uh, the audience participation. And... And the acoustic, of course, it changes for every hall. And I'm also lucky or unlucky as, you know, how you put it, you know, I have to play on different instruments for each concert because I'm playing the piano. And so every instrument will give something, something different, of course. Some of them will be mellow, mild. Some will be very fiery. Some will have a big bass. Some will have a very glassy, bell-like treble, uh, you know. So I'm always uh, using what is there. Um, Every evening will be different.
0: Leif, as you were putting this project together, did you discover anything maybe that surprised you, either about yourself or about the pieces?
1: Oh, these pieces surprised me constantly. The potency of it and the immediate attraction to you know to the audience because I'm now playing it uh it's been exciting for me because I was I didn't have a chance to play it so often during the pandemic and then I recorded it during the pandemic and now I'm doing these recitals and just finding how exciting it is to share this with so many audiences from so many different countries it's universal but I think it's universal because it also has has a real identity as as you know Czech romantic music, it's built on Czech folk songs, Czech folk dances, um, but with such a signature, such depth. Because he was simply a great composer.
0: Leif Ove ansen is talking about his newest recording featuring the poetic tone pictures of Antonin Dvorak. Thank you to Valerie Kaler, our producer, for new classical tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julie Elmacher.